Welcome to School of Everything Else. Analogue. A hate story. Okay, this is our show on Analog, a hate story, a visual novel created by independent designer and visual novelist Christine Love. It was created with the RenP engine and was first released for download on the author's website in February 2012. So when we say visual novel, we mean semi-static manga-style character images and focused on it's focused on reading text logs using the mouse and keyboard with um, Muzak in the background for three hours. Okay. Um, this is uh, a commission show from Mark Lush, who is uh, another one of our long-standing um, premium supporters. So we, again, do not want to upset Mark in any way. Uh, and Mark feels very strongly about this game. We wanted to give him the, the, the best that we could. The difficulty is that everything about this game was repellent to me, personally. On a deeper level, there are heavy overtones of a woman's place in society and how that gets adjusted by those around her with the changing times, and that is of great interest to me. But the way the story was actually conveyed, the medium, the genre, the manner, the conventions, and all of the tropes and restrictions that come with how the tale gets from Christine Love's head to mine... That was what made things supremely difficult. It's not the subject matter, it's everything around it. It's like being given a limited edition Game Boy, packaged in barbed wire and weasels, whilst being pushed off a bridge. I disengaged immediately. And, well, as we describe it, you might get a better idea as to why. There's a reason this is not School of Video Games. There's a definite reason this is not School of Visual Novel Video Games. Um, I have difficulty reading books when they don't suffer catastrophic system failures. Uh, it, that's nothing against books. That's, um, it's just the way that text works with my brain. My brain starts to become soporific. And I need voices to really get the character. Um, I rec- this is why audiobooks for me are a, a huge deal. This is why film for me is a major deal. But, you know, I can still read. However, I did also stipulate a while back, um, many hundreds of times on Twitter, no anime. And Mark said, oh, it's okay, it's not actually anime. It's, um, you know, it's, for, it's Korean, not Japanese. And it's not really animated. And I kind of, I said, Mark, um, it's the culture more than just like the, the, like the, the superficial, what I'm seeing here is an anime girl. Of the, I don't even know what kind the uh, the the schoolgirl trope. <laughs> the schoolgirl trope. Uh, the the fact that it's anime from Korea or manga from Korea rather than anime. It's it's it, it's anime, and and it's it's dealing with a context that I find incredibly boring. Um, but we're going to try and make it as lively as possible for you because basically what happened was. I disengaged immediately and tried my best to get back into it while Sharon played and couldn't. 
and like was trying to keep my brain like powered up constantly like kicking myself to take in what was being written because it wasn't being said it was just being written on the screen and um, I, I, I've, I'm going to ask Sharon questions to get her to elucidate for you this game that uh, ranks for me maybe in the bottom for I can't think of a worse video game I've ever experienced like obviously that this bottom area is reserved for things like Transbot on the Master System. Um, there was a W. There was a wrestling game on the PlayStation One which I rented from Blockbuster back when I could get free rentals because I worked there. That me and my friend Paul Shotton found and Tony Atkins found hilarious as it, it was so bad. It was so broken ass, but it doesn't compare to this experience. The tedium. And the frustration of having to grapple with programming in keystrokes. Because it takes the form of you've come aboard a starship and you're recovering the computer to find out what the hell went wrong. Because it would appear that everyone on the starship is dead and you're communicating with the computer who appears to you in the form of a Korean schoolgirl. And you have to, like, read the data logs and read journals and diary entries from... Various people, I'll let Sharon explain this some more, um, to, to work out what this was. And at, at least, what well, to get in, to start with, this is why I disengaged, you're up against an extremely obtuse keystroke command screen where you have to grapple with entering command after command and trying to decode the system. I hate decoding. I hate coding and decoding and trying to get computers to just work, hit the thing until it works. It doesn't, that obviously, that's no good for me. I'm not a coder. So, like, that being the gates to your game, fucking good luck from that point onwards. And there is a point in the game where you experience a total systems crash and the ship starts going into, like, a time state of complete shutdown, which will kill you and the computer, and you've got to enter the keystrokes that are correct to get it back online. And it's no easy feat because... Sharon was left sweating it and going, what, what, what do I have to press? I've pressed everything! And it wasn't helping. And eventually I, you know, calmly Googled what the hell we were supposed to do. We still only got out of it with about a minute there to was, spare. There was end. one three-character string in the list of commands that I'd missed. Yeah. And that was obviously the one that I needed to use to... Get it to do the uh, folks, you ever played the hacking games in Fallout 3? That sort of stuff was like, nope, not playing that. Nope, I don't care about hacking. Do not going to do it. Not doing it. There's quite a bit of that in this game. Mm. There's a reason hackers in movies don't actually hack. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not about being entertained. It's about, it's a different language. It's, it's, it's as if I was handed a manual in Swahili and told, tell us about this manual, Alex. Here is $150. You've got hours. Tell us about what this manual says. And I don't speak Swahili, despite what I just said there. And I know, sorry, your mother is a saint. I didn't mean that. That was rude. But this game is alien to me on every level. I could not stand it. And it was all I could do to stay in the chair, sat next to Sharon. This was a true test of me. And my abilities to uh, analyse media. Because it's... (sighs) 
It's like handing a Formula One driver a tricycle with a dodgy wheel and saying, go on, do it on that. I can't, you don't understand what I, you know, this is not for me. You, you go on, do that. Okay, Sharon, do you want to get on the tricycle? So, pedal away on your big wheel. Okay, um, there, there were a few um, other media things that sprang to mind while I was playing this. Portal. and Giving you them out of context. Well, yeah, Portal, to an extent. That one didn't occur to me. Mad computer that killed everyone? You didn't, immediately, you didn't spend the whole time thinking Portal? I was never thinking of her as a computer. I was just thinking of her as the person. Right. But the... Okay, is she a person inside a computer? Is she the personality of a real-life person who died and was... Spoilers, folks, and was put inside a Starship computer. Is that actually... Yes. Okay, right. That's literally exactly Portal. Okay. Yes, it is. Say goodnight, Carol. Goodnight, Carol. Carolyn. That's literally Portal. I was just like, oh, okay, so Portal, yeah, okay. I have played this exact plot in a masterpiece of a game already. I love Portal 2. I, we did a show on it. Um, but it was one of the last Digital Cowboys episodes where uh, Paul, Tony and I agreed it was one of the best games we'd ever played. It's brilliant. I love Portal 2. There is nothing in this game that even, like, it's... It, th- th- there's nothing. But I'll let Sharon continue. Okay. So the, uh, the, the getting into it made me think of Hagrid buying every, getting everybody to get the textbooks that bite your fingers. Uh-huh. Where, you know, where I'm trying the, to work out the code the monster I need book of monsters. to get it, yeah, yeah, to actually get through like, why don't you the just, interface. Why it's don't like, you just give them a book that doesn't bite children well, you in just, your lethal, lethal school? Hmm. Um, but the whole thing about, well, yeah, obviously, you just stroke the spine. Well, obviously, obviously to you, wasn't obvious to me. So it, it did take me a little while Careful, to actually... You, you spiked spiking. that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It did... T- did back to spiking the mic with Sharon. It did take me a little while to actually get into the game and I'm doing quote marks here because I do it's agree with Alex to this extent that it's not a game. By the it way, really I'm isn't. I'm not part of this crowd that says visual novels are not games. As far as I'm concerned, they absolutely are games and can be games and this whole walking simulator thing that's all crap. If you consider this a game, that's fine. That is absolutely fine. They are just as valid as a medium, but it's a medium I have no interest in. Is that like th- there's, fine. the irony is I actually considered something along this line myself. Uh, I was going to do a, a whole visual novel type choose your own adventure game about being a god, and basically how incredibly hard it was to keep everybody happy. And you know it's still knocking around in my head. I might still do that. So I'm not discounting that as a medium. It, I, I'm not putting anime in it. Tell you that right now. Not put the like. The, yeah. Anyway. Um, I'll shut up. Sharon, please continue. The reason I would categorise it as not a game is largely to do with my means, how I experienced it and how it felt to me. And it did not feel like I feel when I'm playing a game. Because for me, and I, I do play a reasonable amount of video games, but it is a rare game that makes me feel like I'm not 
sitting there with a controller in my hand doing things that make things move around on screen. It's There is a detach for me when I'm playing a game. It takes something like a Mass Effect, a, uh, a Portal, a Bioshock, um, a Monument Valley mm. even. Something that, that really grabs me on some emotional level, even if I'm not completely aware of it, that actually gets me fully involved mm. and doesn't make me feel like there is a, a space between me and engaging with the artistic content of what I've got in front of me. I'm assuming what broke that was the occasional moments of this whole thing might come crashing down and I might have to start from, like, not scratch, but a long way. Yes, in. although that, that only happened twice. Yeah. Once when it actually did when I realised it wasn't auto-saving and I actually had to go in and make saves. Luckily, I hadn't got too far mm. into it at that point. Um, yeah, there was a, a catastrophic loss of data within the game insofar as it just went back to the beginning again and we hadn't saved because I hadn't made Sharon save because she thought that there was an auto-save and she had to do a whole chunk of the earlier stage of the game again, mm. I think, I'd, which I'd, was frustrating. Yeah, I'd hit a wrong mouse button or something. Again, this is... If, if this, we... by the way, is why I, I literally wrenched this button off. Yeah. This button here actually turned, like, it, it's the back button. Mm. Oh, and I the know. amount of times I've reached out for the mouse and yeah. accidentally tapped it with my fingers while I'm just trying to pick up the mouse, it's so destructive as a button. I don't know why they put it on there, and there was no way to disable it mm. within the computer. So I just I took the button off. Doing that accidentally with a mouse makes me feel like I don't trust my computer, mm. like I that it is treacherous. Absolutely. And when you're reading a visual novel about a treacherous computer... Mm. You know. Yeah, completely agree. Um, a PC is by no means the way I would choose to engage with this material. Mm. There's a major um, reason why I don't play PC games as well. I'm sat on my ass in front of this screen all day, working my butt off to make you guys the best audio content I can give you, the last thing I want to do is play Steam games when I'm done. Mm. And likewise, I spend the vast majority of my day sat on my ass in front of a computer doing a completely different job, but... So please don't tell that... us what's really good on Steam. Yeah. We don't want to know. PC engagement with media is hard. Get my ass in the living room on the <laughs> yes. chair in front of the Xbox One and the Switch. If... And the 3DS. If this had been on the iOS store and I had been able to play it on my iPad, yeah. it would have been a completely, not a completely different experience, but it wouldn't have had that uh, interface issue interruption yeah. that, that kind of disrupted flow of created material to my brain. Yeah, I do That's if you like iPad it's... games, brackets, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> in this, in this particular instance, I think it's, be, it's, Mainly because this feels like a book to me. Now, I am, I, unlike Alex, I am a, I'm very much somebody who enjoys reading. It doesn't make me sleepy, unless that's the plan. Um, but it, it felt to me very much like I wasn't playing a game, but that I was reading a book, a, a graphic novel, really, because there's this uh, image of the, the girl. Anime girl. Yeah, the anime girl in the schoolgirl outfit. You can change her costume, but not until about halfway through the game. Yeah, around about halfway through, she goes, Teehee, you can dress me up. Mm. And I went, yep. And 
and then you get to change her into something distinctly more sensible and engaging. Um, but honestly, if it had been the text and not the pictures, it probably would have been quicker for me to engage with it. Because again, there's this sort of distracting, shapely young lady in a schoolgirl outfit, and it doesn't tally with the depth of um, what's being what's written. being communicated. It's a constant in the story. barrier pushing me personally away. Absolutely. So the the, the basic story is that I, I, I'm, I'm serious there. By the way, I genuinely would have engaged with it more if there had just been a, a, a blinking green computer screen light. I would have basically had to imagine what sort of female presence was back there. Mm, yeah. That I mean. The, the problem for me was that I felt like it was the opposite, that that, that image of that schoolgirl trope type was there to get a shortcut to the, the hearts of those who were affectionate to that particular type of female imagery. And therein, you have hit on one of the main difficulties that I had with this because by the end I was properly invested she was I was was really engaged I was it made me cry um the the basic story is that this uh this young woman um who because again spoilers the AI is the the girl in the story who at 13 years old um it's it's set in the future and she was ill as a child and her father um, it's a colony ship and it's been sent out into space and basically generations will pass by the time they reach their destination. In the meantime, they have a captain who's also called an emperor and there's a, there's a whole status structure going on on this ship that's sort of very much... Uh, based in um, Asian cultures. So in, it's, it's symbolic of Korean history. Well, in her generation, this is the thing, in her generation, it's like modern Korean culture. Yeah. By the time she's woken up from her stasis pod, because her father puts her in stasis because she's ill and she's potentially going to die, so he puts her in stasis on the understanding that someday they will work out a cure for the thing that she has, and at that point they will wake her. Um however many hundreds of years later when they do wake her up it's become this feudal Chinese culture instead where they've reverted to um, you know women are seen and not heard they all do as they're told they're using um, uh, Chinese uh, elemental medicine instead of anything particularly modern so they can't cure the thing that she has they don't even accept that she's ill she keeps talking about the fact that she's she's so pale and thin because she's poorly and they basically keep saying to her it's it's not you're being boastful stop telling everybody how beautiful you are because pale and thin are you know what we were saying about beauty standards yes. before those are the beauty standards that they hold high sideline because that was actually really interesting there was a uh, article I caught when I was looking for an image of the uh, the female uh, version of uh, Uncle Sam Columbia as in America incarnate in, in one woman when I found it, it led me to an article of uh, I think it's 18 or 25 different countries who were all handed the same picture of a average looking girl and asked to uh, photoshop it um, 
to the standards of their country. And a lot of them made her a lot thinner. Some of them changed her clothing, possibly just because they were swapping her entire body out for a completely different girl of their culture. Uh, some of them changed her hair. Um, a lot of them changed her facial structure. Um, and Colombia in particular had just, I think they'd just given her lovely glossy hair and that was about it. So, you know, if, if, you, if you want to be appreciated for who you are and you've got an egg timer figure, go to Colombia. It was really fascinating to see what is prized in different areas of the world. And, you know, it really laid bare that standards of beauty are very contextual. They're very much dependent on who is the observer and what the background of that observer is culturally, historically. Yeah, and they're not always consistent even within the culture. Um, the, the the virtue of thinness is prized in various different places for various different reasons. One of the reasons it can be prized is because uh, it demonstrates self-control. Mm. Um, another reason it can be prized is because it demonstrates wealth. Basically, if you're poor, you have to keep fat stores on you to keep you warm and so that if you ever have to go without food for a period of time, you've got backups. If you're rich and you always have easy access to food, shelter, warmth, etc., you don't need to store anything because whenever you need to eat, you can eat. Mm. It's noteworthy since you uh, mentioned them uh, that uh, the reconfigured girl for the Chinese market looked like a slender woman from Doctor Who. They had really reworked her entire well, they, body. They assessed her BMI, and they assessed the BMI on a lot of the, the figures that people had shaped. Was that a 17? It was 17, which is sick. That's, yeah. That is unwell. BMI takes into account your structure. Bear All in right, mind, okay. if you're very small, yeah. then being that thin, like just the dimensions, might be okay. It's to do with the ratio of height to broadness and... Um, how everything's distributed, but Jesus. seventeen is is ill. Hmm. Also, we were watching. Since we're having a go at China, we were watching Transformers Four today, and um, what was it specifically that they reorchestrated for the Chinese market? And specifically, uh, oh no, it was the product placement I was talking about. Yeah. The, the fact that they had um, various Chinese products here, there, and everywhere, but it's not because there's a big section of the movie where they go to China, yeah. and that kind of makes sense. I mean, it's still a bit obvious, but It's Marky Mark that's fighting fine. in your back garden. It, but yeah, but when they're in Texas and somebody's drinking a Chinese energy drink, apparently it was confusing <laughs> Chinese audiences because they were like, but they, they don't even that, sell yeah. that in America. So That's right. Go. That's the thing you bring to a Transformers movie. The drink doesn't make sense. That's not logical. Mm. But anyway, no, I was I was Googling um, uh, Chinese movie critics because I, I want to see some perspectives from Chinese people mm. who are being given this stuff what do they think they're walking it? out there going well that movie sucked I guess I'll only watch this, the next one 15 times yeah um, I really want to know and I couldn't find anything on Google now I, I that might be because stuff coming out of China on the internet is restricted I don't know if anybody has anywhere they can point me to uh, culturally appropriate movie perspectives on the Transformers series specifically, I would really be interested. So. Or indeed, if you know of additional lines that Optimus Prime says in the Chinese cuts, such as, All hail this glorious regime. Sincerely, little girl. <laughs> indeed. Um, so, anyway, <laughs> where were we?
if it sounds like you actually want to play this game, you might want to stop listening now and come back to it after you've finished. Uh, the game takes about four hours to complete uh, because we're going to go into major spoiler territory and pretty much talk about the end of the game next. So um, one of the fundamental misunderstandings is that her stasis pod um, has the Korean characters that say sick daughter on it. Uh, put there by her father and they have misinterpreted it as pale bride and they've mythologized this stasis pod into a magical egg containing a 13 year old girl who when the time is appropriate they will break open the egg and she will save them in some way and this family is, uh, is politically on this ship they are about to fall from grace um there's things going on with so many names being thrown at me that I couldn't possibly remember all, all of them. All of them Korean. They even, I mean, they, there's a couple of, like, family uh, genealogy charts that they throw at you. Oh, now, that makes it so much less confusing. To, well, no, I, I don't Just know... Just give me what I need to know. I don't know whether the purpose of that is we genuinely think you're the kind of reader who will get all of this and want to remember all of this... Um, or we're poking fun at those books that have great big long thick bits of genealogy at the beginning. Uh, Martin, I'm looking at you at this point. Um, so and, it could be that. Yeah. Um, either way, that, that's fine. You don't have to, to engage with all that side of things. You can just concentrate on the, the diary entries, which is primarily what I did. Though it's annoying when you do read the genealogy stuff, you're like, hang on, what bits of this? Like, this is, is there, are there clues in this? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was staring at it going, is there something in here that I'm not getting? But anyway, so uh, the the family is politically about to fall from grace and they basically decide that they're, what will save them is to break open the egg, take this girl and marry her off to the captain of the ship who is also known as the Emperor. Chris Pratt in Passenger's not looking so bad now, Isn't is he? Really? That was the other thing I was thinking of. Um, <laughs> the, the, the pieces of media that this reminded me of particularly, and it's in part it's the Korean setting, uh, the, the Korean tone, and in part it's the, uh, the fact that you're taking it in as diary entries that are not chronological. You go through it and it jumps backwards and forwards. But it made me think of the future Korean section in Cloud, Cloud Atlas. Atlas yeah. um, which I did, I did enjoy. I, I liked that a lot. In book and book film. And film yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I kind of was was with that, and and this girl is brought back to life, and they're gonna they tell her that they're gonna marry her off. She's furious. She's like, I am fucking fourteen. I am not marrying anybody. And by the way, I'm I come from a culture where um, girls do what they want. Her dad was an engineer. She wanted to follow in his footsteps and be an engineer too. And they ridicule all of that. Um, they call her a whore because she wanted to be an independent woman. Um, and the the long and the short of it is that um, she re- adamantly refuses to marry the emperor um, or even go and, and meet him. So they basically tell her, you've got to stop being argumentative. You can't shout men down. You can't tell them that you don't approve of what they're doing. You have to accept everything that they say. She won't. Um, and then the the final uh, entry of her diary, and I know I'm... I'm mangling this up a bit but it's it very significant because this is the bit that really got me um is that they take her into the kitchen and cut out her tongue so that she will never argue with a man again and then all of the diary entries that you've read that were after she married the emperor where she's totally silent and um, demure and even even in her own thoughts 
her her perception of the world is different because she can't communicate with anybody and the the ai that you've been dealing with that's the that's what's left of her is full of all this effusive i'm so lonely and it's so wonderful to finally have somebody to talk to so it's it's kind of shining a light on the whole you know it's it's about the restriction of women in this culture but it it does it in a way that it it's pretty obvious it's trying to say this is all very very wrong and there's a weird shift well it's not weird it's it's quite interesting the way it's done but there's a shift in tone um about two-thirds of the way through you stop dealing with this ai and you start dealing with another ai which is actually the ai you were sent to talk in, sent in to talk to in the first place called mute who was another girl in this political family. Um, They didn't have much to do with each other when they were alive. Um, But your purpose for being on this ship in the first place is nothing to do with this AI uh, Hyunge. Um, It's to just get the files and find out what happened on the ship. And Mute was supposed to be giving them to you all. Mute is very... um, uh, She's very compliant with her culture. She's feisty. She's like... um, there's there's the Paragon Renegade thing going on because uh, Hyungai is uh, dressed in black with blue underneath and uh, Mute's costume is very red. And she's blonde. And she's um, also very judgmental. She is. And um, she tells... You, you kind of... Your introduction to her is she tells you a story about a, a different family um, where the husband took several concubines because his wife wasn't having any kids and um, eventually his wife actually falls in love with one of the concubines and there's some diary entries where um, they express to each other how they feel about each other and they, they make love and there's poetry that they wrote to each other and it's it's really quite moving and engaging and it felt a bit like reading um, something like Memoirs of a Geisha mm. or, or something like that. And uh, Mute is really condemning of this situation and, and you know, oh, she was a, just a total whore and she couldn't restrain herself and she was just a silly old woman. This silly old woman was 26, the concubine was 16. Um, but it's it, it, it's all kind of, again, it's positioned in such a way that it seems to be to me anyway, but I suspect that this is because of my outlook, gearing you towards, I I can't trust Mute because her attitude is just so totally primitive and, and judgmental. And she tells you that Hyunge killed everybody on the ship and sort of encourages you to go back and talk to her and, and find out from her what happened. And that's when you get all the other diary entries and find out how her story kind of didn't end, but, you know, how she was forced into this marriage and how eventually she just couldn't take it anymore. Um, there's a a chain of questions that, because all you can communicate with them really is kind of yes, no. Um, they will, from time to time, ask you things like, do you agree with me? Do you support what I'm saying? Um, this, is, this is totally wrong, right? And you have a choice of what route you go down. And... It felt, while I was talking to um, uh, Hyane, that I'm really sorry about the mangling of the pronunciation of her name, by the way. It felt like dealing with somebody in a kind of 
almost in a therapy sense, giving her the space to talk about things that she'd never been able to talk about before. And so I, I really found myself responding to it very authentically and very genuinely and like this was me. And they were asking questions, about, like between them, they asked questions about, you know, where do you come from? I come from Earth. And are you a man or a woman? I'm a woman. Are you married? Yes. Doesn't your husband mind you coming up here on your own and all this kind of thing? And I was answering them as me. And I felt very connected in that sense to the story, um, which is one of the reasons why when they do the thing where the power's going down and you have to shut down the reactor otherwise everything's going to blow up I was actually really pissed off because it had taken me out of the engagement with the characters yeah, they gamified it yeah exactly they, and they turned that well that that's the bit that is most like a game because it's mm. got the fail state yeah it's it's got a bit where if you fuck up you will stop playing now um, I was thinking hard about other games where you can't really die and Monkey Island sprang to mind mm. um in that there's, uh, there's only one bit where if you go underwater for longer than, I think he can hold his breath for eight minutes or something like that, then the game is over. But uh, aside from that, there's just no way you can straight up die. Um, and I think ultimately that fail state might be the, uh, the, the main qualifier of a game. Though interestingly with the uh, advent of Kindle on iPad, the difference between just scrolling through the various bits of text and actually just reading a book on Kindle now is it, the, 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 the line is now blurring. Mm. Okay, imagine you're reading a book on Kindle, you're on a plane, you have no means of charging it, and you're down to 1% battery. <laughs> I need to finish this story quickly yeah. before my iPad dies. That... It did feel a little bit like that when everything started going staticky and fuzzy, and I couldn't see what was going on. We're not here to really um, to, to query this uh, genre or this particular oh, title uh, in regards to its status as a game. Mm. I can it's understand about, why people would, but it's about the degree to which we engage with it and what in the format works for us and what doesn't. Yeah, a lot of video games, uh, which are entirely gamey games. Um, leave me totally cold now. Like um, going back into a tutorial at the beginning of a Call of Duties or an Assassin's Creeds, it's so boring. It is so boring being told hold down right trigger to run. Now press this to jump, and it's like, am I really gonna have to spend the next two three hours relearning the stuff I already know off by heart? We've had one of these titles a year since two thousand seven. Skip tutorial function. It's a valuable thing. Selection at the beginning of the game. I have played an Assassin's Creed before. Uh, I, I, I get it. I don't need to be told how again. And that's that would make things so much easier. For this new one set in Egypt, please yeah. Toggle on off. Only teach me new functions. Yeah. You know, if, if it's like, you know, well, we've got this new thing where you throw down certain types of um, different poisons, which, uh, you know, will, will produce various non-lethal effects. Teach me that, of course. But uh, Assassin's Creed 3 was the absolute worst for this. The tutorial section at the beginning of that game, the refusal to let you actually play that game drove me to despair. I think I'm eight hours in and I'm still not in my fucking costume yet. Mm. It's redonkulous. I don't even like the tutorial section at the beginning of New Jobs. Yeah. So that doesn't necessarily mean that if it's a very gamey game, it qualifies more as an engaging game for me. Uh, you know, that, that I have 
I have experienced game fatigue at many times in my capacity as both someone who is into games. I won't call myself a gamer anymore. Um, and someone who occasionally covers games or talks about games at length. But I can assure you it would take a very special visual novel to really engage me. Okay, so having got all of the diary entries for Hainai, and I'm not sure how much of mute stuff I actually saw. I got the impression you could switch to mute much earlier and get the story from her perspective instead, which probably would have put a completely different slant on it. I could be wrong. I did not have the time or the patience to go back in and play however much of the other side of the story was going to be available. That's another thing. I don't... I'm not wildly keen on games that basically present you with a setup where in order to get everything that that game has to offer, you've got to play it multiple times. Because (coughs) I, I have no problem with reading a book over and over again and getting different things from it each time, but it's the same book, it's the same story. The events play out in the same way. Um, I have n- I've tried to do a, a Mass Effect playthrough um, that leans more renegade. I can't do it. I physically can't do it. It's weird. Um, it just my brain won't let me. Um, and I think a similar thing was going on here, to be quite honest. But then it gets it gets to the end, and you've there's this quite masterful little bit actually, where in order to get more information out of High and I. Um, Mute has given you a list of questions to ask her. Some of them are gentle. Some of them are probing. Some of them are quite intrusive. And when I was going down the list, I was like, right, I'm not asking her that. It doesn't matter what she really looked like. It doesn't matter how old she is. All of that's irrelevant. Um, And then the last question is, why did you kill all those people? And it's like, right, there's no, I can't spring this on her early. I need to wait and hold that back until she's volunteered a bit more information herself. And it, it felt, that felt really organic. Um, and I I liked the way that had been set up. And then you you go through and she's when she'd given me all of the diary entries that she had access to, she then turns around and says, okay, so now ask me the obvious question. And all you have left is, why did you kill all those people? And then she tells you the story of how they cut out her tongue so she wouldn't argue with men anymore. And I missed how she got turned into a robot. The, oh, it doesn't tell you. Or if it does, I missed it. It, it doesn't actually say... Basically, the, the life support... She turned off the life support, which killed everybody. As a human. I'm assuming that as the life support was powering down, she, I don't know, went back into stasis or found some way to download herself into the, the AI. It's a rather important bit of story. Mind you, we, we only got 75% at the end. Maybe we did. That maybe that comes out... Yeah, maybe that comes out later on. Because bear in mind, Mute is an AI as well. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's like a, a Red Dwarf setup. They have backups of all the personalities like on the ship yeah. and they can manifest anybody as an AI and it just has so happens that this is the one you've got access to. Okay. Um, but, um, but then you have this conversation where the whole way through she's been peppering her interactions with you with kind of half-stumbled sentences that make it patently obvious that she's falling in love with you or she thinks she is 
And I'm kind of sat there with my... Like, oh, I, oh, sorry, tee-tee-hee. Yeah. You probably don't want to know this, but... But I'm sat there with my therapy head on going, right, this is because she's been alone for a very long time and this is the first person who's actually listened to her with kindness and understanding since all her friends died and um, and all that kind of thing. So then there's a point where all of this has panned out and you're going to leave the ship. She's given you access to all the data that you needed. And she says that she's in love with you and asks you if there's any chance that there could be any kind of relationship between you. And then you have yes, no. And I sat there for like a full five minutes, Mm -hmm. not really knowing which of these answers I wanted to give. And on the one hand, that's really good because it it shows how deeply they'd managed to convey this and get me to engage with the character and and really be thinking of her as a person and weighing and measuring what my responses could be. The question is, do we have even the tiniest chance? Yeah. That's a binary yes, no. Yes. But the problem was that it wasn't... I wasn't just weighing it because of this is a person who... I could hurt her feelings. Is it that I, I do want to develop this into a relationship? If I'm coming at this as me, Sharon, then no. But it, am I projecting myself into a different character for this game? In which case, maybe. Um, but the other side of it was, I don't know the context of how this game's been written. Because there are many occasions in something like Mass Effect, which I love, which is one of my favourite games in the history of ever, where it gives you two choices of what you can say, and you pick one, and what they say, and it's is not what you thought that choice was going to say. And it's like, no, that's not what I wanted at all. You just, you gave me two pretty vague things, and then you decided that this option meant go over there and shoot him in the head, which was not my plan. It's like, you're right, we should kill all the Geth. No, no! And you get all the Paragon points for that. Yeah, oh, for God's <laughs> sake. Um, so there was a part of my brain which was thinking, if I say no, is she going to lose her shit and blow up the entire craft? And I shouldn't have to be thinking like that if I'm dealing with a real person. And what I admired about it was the fact that it made me feel like I was dealing with a real person. Who maybe has had a history of like maybe stabbing people in the face with a letter opener if they upset her. Feasible, yes. Um, Not fatally, just like stab and then drops the letter opener and walks out of their office. Ha! See? Made you look. What? (laughs) No, as in the dropping the letter opener was like, that's all I came to do. Just stab you in the face. Well, no, have, uh, like, ask you for something, get rejected, stab you in the face a bit, mm. and then leave. Yes. This was literally in a film we saw last night called A Dangerous Method, directed by David Cronenberg. The stabber was uh, Keira Knightley. Um, the stabby was uh, uh, Michael Fassbender playing Carl Jung, uh, who was involved with this woman. And um, uh, when he told her the affair was over, she wasn't happy? She was not. So if you take that as like she stabbed in the past a thousand people in the face with space, 
you could Which understand effectively she did why but, we were dealing with a, a woman who was would could be considered by some to be unhinged absolutely and that's what and we, possessing unspeakable power yes absolutely and that was that's what mute has been pushing you towards this idea that she is She's a psychopath and she killed everybody and you, she's not trustworthy. It's like if Enchantress... You should Cara, hate her. It's like if Enchantress Cara Delevingne says to you, do you think there is even the tiniest chance we have we could maybe do this little dance together? <laughs> so I'm you know what? sat Better there. movie. Mm, so I'm sat there trying to work out which answer to go with. And in the end, I thought, right, I'm going to be completely sincere here and let the chips fall where they may and I said no because you know a conversation with an AI who's been dead for 600 years about the terrible things that happened to her while she was alive and you're the first person she's seen in centuries is no basis for a relationship and that's my personal stance on the matter so then I got this sweet little ending where she said, oh, okay, well, I'm disappointed, but that's fine. We can still be friends, can't we? And that's she's, very in character. She's, and it, it is, actually. It kind of is. Um, but the... <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, no. You haven't hurt her. Well, um... Other than I, the rejection. I would say that the rejection, you know... Yeah, but the, is, the, is reason, the reason that she was driven to execute everybody on the motherfucking ship was because of a systematic oppression and pain and abuse this whole system's fucked. for a very very long time kill everyone yeah you're dealing with a goddess here who has decided for the etch-a-sketch end of the nuke world. it from orbit it's the only way to be sure um ultimately at that stage all bets are off mm-hmm. um it, had it actually been me had this actually been a movie i would have gone yes Put yourself in this flash drive, and then just as we were uh, leaving, boom, into space. <laughs> Sequel. Or just let that reactor blow. Because <laughs> there was a part of me that was kind of like, okay, so then she asks if you'll take her with you. And I said yes. And so I downloaded everything, including her. And, oh, that's what I could have done. Not downloaded her. I was trying to work out what other alternative endings mm. I, I could have done that I had the patience to go back for. Um, Mr. Trick with this ending. So Here I am, so floating in, in space because in you ship. betrayed me. Oh, you God, monster. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This oh, was a triumph. It's you. <laughs> Again. Portal 2, yeah. so much better than this game in yeah. every conceivable way. Indeed. But she's not passive-aggressive like GLaDOS. No, and she's not funny or engaging or entertaining like no, GLaDOS. This is true. Um, but yeah, so then you get this little ending where you're in the ship and she's in the computer waving at you. And there was still a part of me that was thinking, if I take her with me, is she basically going to infect some kind of life support that keeps everybody on Earth alive and kill everyone? And I thought, maybe... But I'll take the chance. And it was quite sweet. And I got, you know, there you go. This is your 75%. And then I went back it, and... That, that, but here's the thing. I actually genuinely did feel sorry for uh, this, this poor girl as well. I, you know, I'm not, uh, my heart's not made of stone. Reading her story was very poignant. However, I was also uh, very aware of the practicalities of this situation. And also very aware, as I mentioned before that we were being manipulated into a specifically male fantasy about getting a hell of a lot of attention from a female, a very intelligent, demure female, who is also an AI. I mean, it's it's the plot of her. 
and you know that this is my new anime girlfriend she lives in a computer that's Krieger right there mm. Yeah. See, I thought it, it was trying to kind of upend that a little bit by setting you up with that fantasy. And so much of the, the interactive text assumes that you are a teenage boy. Yeah. Who's um, into Korean anime it's not, uh, and manga. They do ask you at one point if you're a man or a woman, but you are well into the game by that stage before it occurs to it to say that anybody cares what gender you are or what And clearly Huan doesn't care either attract- way. Well, no. I mean, she says she's fallen in love with you before she's even found out what gender you are. Okay, she's had no one to talk to for 600 years but the scutters. Yes, indeed. Um, so I went back and replayed just the very last bit and when she said, do you think we have a chance of a relationship? I said, yes. And it plays out very similarly, except that she's like all, hey, yay, now we get to be partners and it's awesome. And you Notice I, no one like was sending be... her 600 fucking cupcakes with different coloured icing to go, I want completely different endings. No. No, they were not. Um, and um, Well, it is completely different. Now, now you're holding your hand to yeah, the monitor while she holds her hand Same exact picture, but then she's holding her hand out and you put your, your hand is on the monitor as well. Oh, um, and... But the difficulty there is um, that you are you. You're yes. not a character. No. So it's like how like how would I interact with this? That's the thing. I couldn't interact with this AI that says she's fallen in love with me by only replying yes or no. Mm. They'd need to know more than just I'm fond of reading. Mm, indeed. And but- I will listen to their swathe of historical allegory. Mm, indeed. But I, I, I did think, could I go back and replay this and play it Also, so she's in love with us because we're not monsters. Yeah. So By comparison, all we had to do is just turn up and not cut out her tongue. Mm, well, absolutely. Which, you know, you've got a massive head start there already. <laughs> um, but the, um, the idea of going back and playing it down one of the lines where you are... Uh, even outright cruel to her, you refuse to listen to her. You go. Sh- there's. I'm. I'm guessing there is an option where you can go straight into the terminal, mm-hmm. engage the mute AI instead mm-hmm. of her, um, and just download all the material you need and leave. Yeah. And not have to read any of the story at all. I'm. I'm guessing that's an option. Um, but I just thought I. I don't want to. I couldn't really do that. So that game will forever remain at 75% Yeah, for me. Understandable. Mm. The, um, the dress-up thing that I mentioned before, that, that galled me because it was very much uh, a test of what, do you want this girl to remain in her schoolgirl uniform with its overt pudenda scribbled on the front? Do you want this girl to... They're there, folks. Just check out a picture. It's, it's there. It's the bottom of her shirt. It's... It's there. Um, or do you want to dress her up in traditional uh, Korean robes? Uh, mm-hmm. Or do you want to dress her up like a scientist, which is the one we eventually went for? Uh, or do you want to dress her up like a detective, which is the one I thought would look great, but she actually looks like a sort of a, a, a race's assistant in that, or possibly uh, Professor Layton's assistant. Yeah, and then there's a maid's outfit. Which oh, there's a maid's outfit. Which a schoolgirl outfit just, with an apron on. That's just fetish gear plus. Yeah, but there's... Which is fine. Maid's outfits totally have their place. Don't get me wrong, folks. But again... What I mean is, like, you've only just met this AI, <laughs> and she's immediately just parading around in new costumes going, you could dress me up. 
I was also waiting for them to upend these tropes, mm. and they in no way did enough for me to go. I'm impressed with that. I I completely get where you're coming from with that. I I think that there was an a, a, an attempt to upend the tropes. There's things like the fact that she refers to all this. She she doesn't call it dress up. She refers to it as cosplay. There's very much the sense that this is for her. This is something she enjoyed doing when she was alive. She talks to you about how she feels about each of the outfits that you put her in and you then get to choose which one she stays in. But like you said, there's a test there and it's not just about which of these outfits gets you hot. Um, it's about, you know, how do you respond to the fact that she says, you know, the handbook, oh, I, I guess you, you want me dressed like a proper girl then. It's just I really don't like this because it's what I was wearing when I died. Um, and which she hastily rubs out and says, oh, no, it's what I used to wear when I was still alive. Um, or the scientist outfit, the reason I wanted to keep her in that was she said that she'd always wanted to be a scientist like her dad. Bingo. Um, and this was the outfit that basically made her feel the most empowered. So I was like, not even a contest. No chance, yeah. We stick her in that. Um, but So there, there are kind of these subtle ways of, of bringing things out of you. It's, it's very much one of these things where... Again, this is why it made me feel more like I was reading a book, because it's about how you respond to it, not about how it responds to you. And it's it's kind of there's a I suppose a degree of trying to encourage self-awareness. How do you feel about these questions that are being asked of you? Um, you know, what's your position um, in, in response to this? And I love the fact that that exists. Um, I, I think it's going to be wasted on a lot of people. Mm. Especially those who take it incredibly literally. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can envision, actually, I, I have no idea what the reviews for this game read like, but I can certainly imagine people like the Mass Effect ending deniers um, who would say, you know... I love that deniers thing. It's kind of like Chuck putting them in with climate change deniers. Yes. <laughs> that's not to yes, say it that... Is. That wasn't it, an accident. That's not to say anyone who didn't like the ending of Mass Effect 3 is in this crowd. No, it's but not a question of not liking. I can pretty much guarantee that no one who listens to our show is that kind of complete bell end yeah. of the really obnoxious kind that you guys would have heard about circa the Mass Effect 3 Absolutely. ending. What, what, fiasco. And it was a fiasco. What I'm talking about is that there is a distinction between, well, I really wasn't keen on how that game ended... And let's, let's move on. And let's and harass the hell out of Wow, wow, booby weenie, stamp my foot until somebody writes an ending I actually approve of. In which case, fuck off. We, Excuse the 512 people undersigned, demand that you change the game. We represent 0.0005% of the total games players, but we believe we should have this level of agency over you and indeed over art. I was about to say, do you think people went to Da Vinci and said... That Mona Lisa isn't smiling at all. Fucking change it. Put a smile on her. But I bet somebody did. She looks like a garbage pail kid, they said. <laughs> so overrated. <laughs> what is the deal with this fucking picture? And I'm also so, yeah. so humble. <laughs> Sorry, that was in um, Popstar. So, so that's the, the essence of the game and the essence of my response to it. And I engaged with it. I'm not going to say I liked it. But I engaged with it and... I think it was it was worth my time. There were elements that I found difficult to overcome, but I do think that's more to do with me 
than it necessarily is to do with the game. Hmm. You were really sweating it during the keystrokes bit when the reactor was burning out. You were really getting upset. And just that time I constantly counting down. And you were trying to hold it together. Like you were typing and getting one word wrong and you were going, and you were typing it again, delete, typing it to get it correctly. And it was that kind of gameplay. I wasn't playing, but had I been playing, I don't think the keyboard would have lasted. No, I, I think don't I would think have destroyed would my keyboard. I think getting me to do the playing was a very wise move. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yes. So, please, folks, we are School of Movies. We have another video game coming up in the next few weeks, To the Moon, which we've already played once several years ago. We're going to play it through again. And... Um, re-experience a lot of those feelings it's a beautiful lovely game we recommend all of you guys play it but i would suggest that people who want commission shows think of a movie rather than a game think of a movie rather than tv tv is very time intensive Mm. tv is very exhausting to have to get through it's like i've been pushing back and pushing back and pushing back stranger things because of the weight involved in this project i'm not saying please don't ask us for tv but we will take a movie any day over tv Uh, whatever movie you suggest i think part of the difficulty with it and over video games because tv you can just sit and watch and try your best to to assimilate as much as you can a video game you could lose the whole thing Mm. you could just get to a point where you can't proceed that was another thing It engaging me in the same manner as a book is not a problem. The fact that unlike a book, I can't go back and read something I missed to recontextualise something I know now. The fact that it was very, very easy to lose track of which segments I'd read and which ones I hadn't. And eventually I just ended up methodically plodding over diary entry over after diary That's entry down, that I'd That is down read. to poor structure and poor signposting in the game. There should have been little markers to say, you've already read this one. And uh, little markers to say, you only took a little while on this one. You mm-hmm. might want to go back and re-examine yeah. And it does, there are just some little intuitive bits like that. When yeah. it has new entries, they say new next to them. You have a little box that tells you when you've got new messages. But, but the you fact then, that you kept going back into ones you'd already read yeah. suggests that that wasn't enough. But to, to expand on each entry, you have to ask questions about what you're reading. And I missed that for a chunk and then had to go back through and like ask questions about the bits I'd already read, which now didn't make sense in context of stuff I'd now already moved on to. Folks, imagine playing a, a platformer along the Mario lines, and the jump button sometimes doesn't work. At what point would you go, I'm done with this? Because I think that when you've only got like some very clear mechanics to your game, Having people confused about them and annoyed about them is, I wouldn't say unforgivable, but it's a, uh, it's a pretty fatal oversight mm. it's in, like, in game construction. It's, what it really made Spoken me, like a person who's never made a game in his life, I know. What it really made me feel like, actually, was um, what you say about the jump button not working properly. It felt like playing Jet Set Willy on the Spectrum when you've been using the thing for long enough for it to start to overheat 
And on a spectrum, when they get hot, everything slows down. So Jess at Willie is basically, when he jumps, instead of going, he goes, he's like the $6 billion man. But it means you can't time anything because you're having to repace yourself according to how fast he's moving. So it kind of felt like that. Good comparison. So, uh, not a total unmitigated disaster. It got a it got a uh, powerful emotional response from Sharon. Uh, had it been just me playing, uh, you would have got a very different response, and you would have got a very different recording. I'd have recorded it, but I would have explained to you exactly how and why my keyboard became destroyed <laughs> and why pieces. I will never finish this game. Indeed. Um, but that's why we have two people doing the show. Yeah. We get different perspectives, and that's a good thing. <sighs> okay. Right, so that was Analog, a hate story. And uh, it was uh, it followed up Oh, apparently it was a uh, sequel set centuries after uh, Christine Love's earlier work, Digital, A Love Story. Oh, okay. So, Digital, A Love Story, Analog, A Hate Story, and uh, what came after that? Hate Plus. Hate Plus. And I think that's literally the most we can actually say about this game. And many thanks to our special sponsors at the $15 level this month. Jameis Enright, Mark Lush. Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Timothy Green, David Garcia Abril, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisham. And a special shout out to all of our $1 supporters. I saw a tweet the other day that I wholeheartedly agree with. Every single creator needs to be genuinely grateful for all of those $1 supporters. All of them count, all of them add up, and they say collectively, we believe in you, which is what creators need. And if you're not on our Patreon yet, you might want to go over there and check it out this week because we've just launched our new mailbag show. So, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's, School's Out. out.